0: Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20 As we complete the Gospel of Matthew Great Gospel message Presenting to the nation of Israel and to us and portraying Jesus as the king he truly is the king this is actually one of the last visitations after the resurrection that Jesus made to the disciples there in the Galilee and so uh, we don't know how close it was to um, the Ascension but uh, is believed that it's fairly close as there he's come to them here in the Galilee so we'll pick it up in verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. One of those great and precious promises for us. Now, I'm kind of curious. Are you the kind of guy or gal who reads the directions before you assemble a recent purchase? Or are you the kind of person that just leans upon their own intuition and you go about assembling it, observing the pictures of what it's supposed to look like? Now, there are problems that could be avoided if we would go directly to the instruction booklet in order to put something together. You know, if you're like me, I'm the guy that I can figure this out. (laughs) And you get halfway through and you realize, rats, I should have put this on before I put that together. Ah! So what do you do? You have to disassemble, go back, and then, you know, like most of us, going to the instruction booklet is the last resort. (laughs) Now, that's what we do on a personal level. And then there are other times, you know, we, it's up up to us to go get the booklet and you know dig in and figure it out. But then there are other people with good intentions who like to give us advice, and and since they've got more experience, they can help us, you know. And I remember the story uh, when I was a young man, uh, and I was a teenager, um, fifteen or so. They had a government had a program called manpower, and, and you know, miners could could take jobs working for the government or whatever. And so there was a state uh, conservation area in our area, and so I was able to work uh, outside painting and putting up signs and maintenance types of things. And I was a farm kid, so I understood how to do a lot of things physically unlike working with my hands and all. And so one day, uh, one of the tires on one of the implements was flat, so I proceed to break down the tire and pull out the tube. And it's got just a little you know, nail hole in it. And so, you know, I'd fixed a few tires even at that age. So I'm in the shop, you know, I break out the wire brush. Now, I appreciate, I know you ladies won't appreciate this, but bear with me. They break out the wire brush, you know, and I'm roughing it up and cleaning it really well. And one of the older gentlemen who I'd known for a long time, he was a local guy, and he used to work on some of our equipment. Uh, So he's a real handyman, and he's a big guy, Pete, he was a very intimidating, deep voice, kinda of gruff. And he he you know, he knew my grandfather and I knew him and so there was an acquaintance there. And so he sees me working on this. You know, doing my little thing and he walked me give me that. So he pulls it out of my hands and let me show you how to do that, son. So he he proceeds over to the grinder. Now, if, for those of you who like shop and remember shop class they have a little a grinding wheel that has a little whetstone on it you can sharpen tools then on the other side the little brush an abrasive brush you can kind of rough things up and buff things so Pete proceeds with the tube over to the grinder and he's gonna really rough this up and show me how to do it and so I'm watching what am I gonna do just, you know I'm just a punk kid right the next thing you know it gets away from him and it's inside there (laughs) and it comes out like this (laughs) of course I wasn't going to (laughs) go mute I'm not saying anything to Pete I just kind of walk away like a (laughs) hubbly well obviously you probably get where I'm going with this there are a lot of Christians who like to follow their own intuition Rather than going to the instruction manual, well, you know, I think this will work. I think this would probably work. And you know, and they start down the path of putting their life together, ordering their careers, etc., etc. Only to find out they encounter problems and issues. And if they would have only inquired of the Lord, a lot of those problems and those heartaches could have been avoided. Of course, along the way, there are well-meaning, good-intentioned people that have more life experience than you. And they're, no, they're just you know waiting, knowing that you're struggling, maybe, and they're just waiting to counsel you and to give you good advice on how to go about your life. And the point I'm trying to make here is that there's only one person that you need to go to when it comes to the purpose that God has ordained for your life, and it's Him. Nobody can tell you Nobody can show you what's best for you. Nobody understands the purpose of God for your life like he does. It behooves us, and it's our responsibility, to inquire of the Lord. And how many times when we've taken it into, uh, upon ourselves, we only wish that we would have inquired of the Lord before making some of the decisions that we have made. There's a lot of unnecessary heartache. There's a lot of unnecessary headache that people experience because they fail to inquire of the Lord and so as we look at this text this morning you're thinking how in the world did you get that out of there well let me tell you you'll think you'll figure it out here right Jesus makes this final well what is believed just believe be one of the final experiences before uh, appearances before the ascension and he tells him to go to this place this appointed mountain now he didn't We don't really know where this mountain was or which one it was. We can surmise. We know it's in the Galilee, because that's where he told them. But it's probably a place that they went to often. So it was understood, at least from them, where they should be. And so they go there to the appointed place. They see Jesus. They worship Jesus. And Jesus speaks to them. Now, these are four things that are important for you. They're important for me. That we understand this is a template, so to speak, of how we find God's plan and purpose for our lives. Nobody else can tell you. You, It's not, the way of man, is, as the proverb says, is not within him. We have to find it out from him. People can't tell you. Church leadership can't show you. This is between you and the Lord alone. Now once you understand that direction and purpose for your life and you start moving in that way, it's okay to get counsel. There are some things we can ask others about. You know, there's safety in a multitude of counsel in some applications. But initially always it must be something that God has placed within your heart. You see, I believe the will of God is sort of written in our DNA. It's there. We can't see it, we don't understand it 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 needs to be revealed to us. And so this is what happens when we go to the appointed place. Now, as you, many of you know the Bible, and you've read through the Bible, you understand that mountains are, are considered places of divine revelation. That's why the high places were observed by a lot of the false gods. There was something mysterious about going to the high places. You know, if you read uh, in Ezekiel, you'll find out that God, Eden itself was not just a garden, but it was also the mountain of God. And so it was a place where the Lord would come and he would fellowship with Adam and Eve. And he met with Adam there. So it's mountain is again a place of divine revelation. And of course they go to this destination. And, it, and what does this say to us? Each of us have a place. Each of us have a responsibility to meet with the Lord regularly. In order that we might receive the revelation the inspiration, and the illumination we need. It doesn't come naturally. It must be revealed to us supernaturally in our relationship with God. We need a place. We need that mountaintop experience. Why else do we call them mountaintop experiences? Is because something special happens inside us. Now, we don't have to be at a physical mountain. We just have to be at the place where God has ordained us to be. And that experience, that exchange that we have with God, truly will be a life-changing experience, a, a mountaintop experience. There are some things that God cannot do. There are things that only we can do. And we have to put ourselves in a place where God can minister to us, where God can reveal to us the things that He so desperately wants to reveal to us. They're wonderful things. They're glorious things. But if we're not willing to go to that place, then God can't help us. The pastor's not going to help you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ cannot help you. You have to do it yourself. And you have the ability within you to do this. God isn't asking us to do something that we're not capable of doing. He never does that. That would be cruel. But He doesn't do that. And we must remember Jesus loves us, He desires our company. I don't know why he's crazy about us, but he is. He just wants to hang out with us. God thought it would be cool to become a, a human being. I still can't get over that fact. Why would God, the God of glory, want to become a man with limitations like this? You know, it's beyond us to grasp. But somehow, he thought it was pretty cool. So I'm okay with it, if you're okay with it. I hope you are. But he wants to be with us. He loves us. He wants to fellowship with us. And so I just want to ask you that simple question. Are you at that place? Are you in a place regularly where God can speak to your heart? He can reveal things to you. He can illuminate your mind and give you revelation and an understanding of plans and purposes that He has for your life. That isn't saying that to make anybody feel bad if you're not there. But what I'm saying to you is you, you can get there. And you need to be there. And God wants you there so by the grace of God, we'll all get there. It was a place appointed by God. Now, I'm of the opinion that, sort of lean this way, and again, I'm not dogmatic about it, but I think the place where they went could have very well have been uh, on the north side there, the the north slope of the Sea of Galilee. It's a a raised place, and it's a a broad area, and and in its elevation, you could have set a multitude of people. And and Jesus is believed where this is where Jesus delivered probably the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Uh, we refer to it as the Beatitudes. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that's where it took place. That was go to the mountain, go to the place. Now, as you read through this, it's quite possible that there were more than just the 11 disciples because it's minus Judas at this point. Uh, Paul in First Corinthians 15 talks about Jesus, and, you know, the gospel, and, and that Jesus appeared to... The, the disciples, the apostles and then to over 500 people and this might have been the scene, uh, so to speak that this happened at because it says in the text there and this is where it comes from because some doubted I don't think the apostles doubted I mean, he, after the resurrection he walks through the wall somehow he comes through the wall and appears to them and they're all like you know, No, you know, Thomas got over that real quick hey Tom Put your hand here, right here, go for it. You know, he totally got humbled. So I don't think the disciples were the group that doubted. But what is it, this group of people that they, they're looking at Jesus from a distance? Is that the problem? Well, I can't really see. Is that really him? Did he really raise from the dead? They're, they doubted. I don't know why. it you know, it's just an issue going on there. But what better place for the disciples to go to and return to than where where they first heard the revelations of things about the kingdom of God, where he preached that sermon that, I mean, it covers almost every aspect of life. When you look over and you kind of pursue the whole sermon that he preached there, then for us it's it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I mean, he, he covered it all, the full gamut of life. We're talking about happiness, good works, the purpose of the law, the inner attitudes of our hearts marriage, taking oaths, loving your enemies prayer, fasting future life in heaven worry I mean Jesus was showing the people of God how to live life and how important that is and so there's a place You see in this place is where we get what we need to live by from in our journey from earth to heaven You know, where, where do people go? If you don't go to the Bible, if you don't go to church and inquire of the Lord, where are you getting your advice? Where are, who's counseling you? How do you know your destiny in, in the Lord? What is purpose for your life? How do you know what your stewardship is unless you inquire of the Lord? And I think that's a grave problem in the church of Jesus Christ today. Christians are not reading their Bibles. They're not spending time with God. And they're just leaning to their own understanding, their own intuition. And it sort of doesn't end well. It creates heartache. It creates headaches, at least. You know, I will say this to people who, they may not be in attendance here. Uh, You may be listening to this by way of the internet. Uh, There are those who, Christians and true born-again believers that are not attending a fellowship. Now, it's a really easy habit, you know, if a church uh, gets sideways and and people just, you know, sort of bail and that kind of thing, they don't attend church anymore. Uh, It's really easy to get into a habit of not attending church. I get it. I've never fallen into that trap, but I, I get it. I understand it. It's not a good one, and it's not something that I would want anybody to experience. I believe it's very important For all born-again believers to be in a Bible, gospel, teaching, Word of God, teaching church. We're members of the body of Christ. The Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. Hebrews 10.25. But yet, somehow, that seems to be missed by a lot of Christians in America especially. I would say... Also, that if you're, the church you are attending doesn't preach that, then you need to leave. You need to find a place where your spirit and your soul can be fed. And there you're taught the scriptures. Because that's what we need if we're going to be illuminated. If we're going to have a revelation and inspiration in walking with the Lord. We all need help. We are part of God's family. And this is how God ministers His grace to it, is through His body so often. And along with that, uh, it needs needs to be duly noted that you and I each have spiritual gifts. And we're to be exercising those gifts and ministering grace to one another. I find that people who are obedient to the Lord and serving others are the ones who grow in the Lord. The people who are not willing to serve and wash feet are the ones that are usually complaining about the things that are not being done in the church. And, you know, I'm sure there's a connection there, and you can probably figure that one out. But we all are gifted. Everybody in here has at least one gift, and you need to be employing that gift and giving grace and serving others with that gift. And so we have this idea here of not only do we have a place, but we have a responsibility before God to carry out our mission, you know, we've been granted, as the Bible tells us, a stewardship from God, you know, think about this question, and I believe this is a question that every child of God, every person that's ever been created, that will stand before God's judgment seat, now it's different for the believer and the unbeliever, which throne, you know, the unbeliever will be before the great white throne judgment, and that's just bad news altogether. But for the believer, it's the bema seat. It's the judgment seat of Christ. But the question will be asked, and we will answer to God. Trust me, we will answer this question to God. My son, my daughter, what have you done with the life that I've given to you? And I don't know about you, but that's quite sobering to me. Well, Lord, you know, I was, um, well, they don't really know what I was doing. (laughs) That's not a good answer. So there's a stewardship. And in stewardship, it's required that a man be found faithful. So you ask yourself the question, what has God put under your control? What has he given into your hand? Stewardship for Paul meant stewardship of the mysteries of God. The things that were biblical mystery is not something that cannot be understood. It's just something that's that's hidden. But once it's revealed, and it can be revealed if it's sought after, it's understandable. And Paul was re- was revealed the mystery of the church. And so he he actually had a responsibility before God to reveal this to the Gentile church. And so he was faithful to that. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 4. When, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And moreover, and here's the point for us, moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's all. Just be faithful with what God gives you. He doesn't ask you to do more than you're capable of or more than he's put in your hands, only what he has given into your control. And so Peter talks about something that we're all supposed to be good stewards of, and it's grace. Each one of us has received a gift. Minister it to one another Now, it's pretty hard to minister to one another if you're staying at home and you're not attending a local church. You get the, you know, this is logical. This isn't rocket science here. You can't give something unless you're with someone. And I don't know how these people who claim to be Christians, and maybe they are, how they can justify not finding a church and being part of a local church. I don't get that. I really don't get it. Maybe you can help me. But we're to minister the gift to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Paul in 1 Corinthians Nine seventeen said for if I preach the gospel I don't have anything to boast about it's of necessity that is laid upon me yes woe is me if I preach not the gospel for if I do this willingly I have a reward but if against my will well I've been entrusted with the stewardship what then is my reward that when I preach the gospel I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel and so as I said before Paul and this would be Ephesians 3 2, felt that he was accountable to God for this the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you speaking to the Ephesian church now think about that in context of we're not all called to be apostles we're not all called to uh, fulfill that kind of ministry my goodness mine's microscopic in comparison and yours probably is too but that's okay We point is if we could each would just be faithful to what God has entrusted to us you'll be the better for it the body of Christ will be the better for it and the beneficiary of it the scripture tells us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God the fear of God should be upon our hearts when we talk in this kind of context So they had a place. It was ordained and chosen and directed by God. Here, at that place, they saw Jesus. When you are in the will of God, you are seeking Him, you're wanting to know and desire very greatly what He wants for you, you will see Jesus. You will be drawn into a deep, intimate, personal relationship. God has no respecter of persons. I love that. It says they saw, they saw Jesus, they saw him. He became visible to them. How many people in the church today do not see Jesus? They see some form of a Jesus, maybe the God they've created in their minds that, of course, he would never say anything rude or be offensive to them. He would never confront them with their sin because, well, that's not the Jesus that they believe that the Bible represents. So there, there's a lot of phony Jesuses in the church today. But when we see the real Jesus for who he is, we are humbled and we are blessed that he would love us and reach down in his great tender love and care and save us from the pit. When we see Jesus, we see the love of God manifest and it's life-changing. Do you see Jesus? The real Jesus who bled and died. And if he bled and died for each one of us, how is it that we can live our lives unto ourselves? That is a great sin. We owe our lives. We are, we we owe our commitment and dedication to the king. We are forever indebted to him. And that is how we should view our lives. And when you see Jesus for who he is, you can't help but do what they did. You fell down about in worship. Before I get to that, I want to read this verse to you out of 20, Jeremiah 29. Some of you are familiar with it, but it has to do with really seeing Jesus, really seeing God for who he really is. Because I don't think people really understand the depth of God's care and compassion and his willingness to reveal himself, his desire to be with us. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14 for thus, and he's speaking to th- those who are in captivity. They're, they're going to be there a while for their disobedience. But he's actually taking them out of the promised land because of their idolatrous practice. And he's, in mercy, saving them from self-destruction. And he's taking them to Babylon, and he's got a remnant there that he's going to save the nation. And he's speaking to them. <clears throat> for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you. And perform my good word toward you. And cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back from your captivity. Let's break that down a little bit. This is so powerful. This is, this is our God who cares so deeply for us. God will visit you. When you go to the place that God wants you to be, the place that he's directing you to, you know, you're there. He's going to visit you. He's going to perform his good word what he's ordained and the purpose and the plans that he has for your life that only he really knows into that greatest detail he will perform that good word he'll return you to the place if you've drifted away and you failed to do this he'll return you to the place you're supposed to be isn't that great I know the thoughts that I think toward you think about this you have a future I have a future you have a hope. Some of you just might be totally tr- like, I have so gotten sideways that I have no idea. There's no way God can restore my life. Wrong. He's able to save to the uttermost. <laughs> He's able to take ashes and turn in them into something glorious, something beautiful. I know the thoughts that I think towards you to give you a future and a hope. Your job Something he cannot do. You must do. I must do. What is it? You must call upon me. You must ask. It's all here, brothers and sisters. It is here for the asking. If we will ask God for whatever it may be, he will speak to us. He will grant it to us because that's who he is. You will go. You will pray. And God will respond. I will listen. You'll seek me and you will find me. But here's the caveat. I will be found when you search for me with all your heart. And this is a big problem in the church. People are not fully committed. They're not fully surrendered. Well, you know, if I totally surrendered, well, then it's bad news for my life. I won't be able to have fun anymore and I won't be able to do the things that I want to do. Well, how do you know that? Nobody knows that. What are you seeking? What do you think is going to bring you happiness and great blessing? You think you know that path? It's actually that path is unknown to us. The only path that's really going to bring you true joy and happiness is the highway of holiness. It's where you've separated yourself totally into God and for His purposes only. He's created you for something very specific and unique. Compared to everybody else, it's different and unique. It's wonderful. The caveat is, you must give all your heart. It isn't the casual inquirer that God blesses. It's the diligent seeker that finds God. And so this is what God, that's the caveat. If you do that, I'll bring you back. I'll restore you. It'll be a complete restoration. I just think that's just a wonderful passage. and You know, I could go on and on, but that is just, you can take that one home with you. Point number three, not only did they go to the mountain, that place where Jesus had directed them to, where they saw him and worshiped him. Let's talk about that worship a little bit. What does it mean to worship? Is to to esteem something worthy of honor it, it really means to prostrate oneself giving allegiance to something greater and notice here is the Lord Jesus Christ the resurrected Christ that they are bowing to and they are worshipping to worship Jesus is to worship God so when we get to heaven who are we going to see what are we going to see we're going to see the father on the throne and at his right hand the lamb as though he had been slain we're going to see the power at the right of, at the right hand of the lord jesus christ somehow we're going to be able to take in the holy spirit we're going to see the triune god we'll have a the apparatus of our being will be able to comprehend and grasp the personage of god for the first time in our existence to worship proskyno and the New Testament means obeisance, reverence literally it means it's two words pros, towards and canoe to kiss to kiss towards now this I don't want to lower this word to this level and keep it there but to explain a little bit it it means to fawn but it also, it means vulnerability. It implies vulnerability in relationship. Now, some of you I know are dog lovers. And I like dogs too. And, and they're pretty cool. And, you know, when a, the dog first sees you, hasn't seen you for a while, they come running up to you. And what are they doing? I mean, they're just all over you. Knock it off, you know. They're just fawning over you, licking you. They're so excited, and some of them wet themselves, you know. I mean it just, it's just a whoa, vulnerability. You're the master. Now it's a little more discreet with us and the Lord, right? But you get the idea. There's a complete shedding of our what we would call our dignity. We don't care what other people think, we love God. And to get on our face before him and humble ourselves before him. It doesn't matter what people think. I love God. This is the kind of worship that was going on there. The Old Testament word sh- shakah is to prostrate oneself to bow down. And so what is, when we bow down, what, what is that, you know, physically when we do that, it, it's showing that there's humility there. It's almost as though we have no right to be in the presence of this person. And this is how we approach God. we are not worthy of the least of his tender mercies now, I don't know about you but i I struggle with that little phrase and yet some doubted there are those that are worshiping God they're bowing they're they're they've they're connected and yet there's some people in this crowd that are doubting and my I just can't get my mind around that, but I can when I think about really there are times in my life when I doubt there's a difference between unbelief and doubt Unbe- doubt is in the head well I how can this be you know, I mean, you know I begin to doubt unbelief on the other hand is a terrible sin because that is from the heart that is a spiritual issue not an intellectual issue so I'm not going to throw stones at these people but I, I'm thinking what, what are you in the back seat here are you far away you can't really see Jesus I mean, you need, you need glasses. I mean, he's, this is the risen Christ. Why are you doubting? Get a grip on your life, you know. And maybe that's why they doubted. They couldn't really see. There's others who saw Jesus and immediately, boom. It's worship. There are those that don't see Jesus for he is, so they, they don't worship. They don't bow. They doubt. Now, where are you? in your walk. What is what is going on in your life? Are you worshiping because you see Jesus for who He is? Or are you doubting because, you know, after all, I mean, I thought if I accepted Jesus, then it would be a bed of roses. In it. And why is this tribulation going on in my life? I thought God loved me. And these expectations that I've laid upon God are not happening. Therefore, I doubt whether He really loves me. And see, because I don't really see the real Jesus. I'm Seeing a Jesus that I've made up in my own mind, a God after my own image, so to speak, and this is a terrible sin to, to do. God doesn't owe us anything. There are no guarantees this side of heaven. I don't like that thought, but it's true. I'd like to think that everything would be just hunky-dory from this point forward and I would never have another issue in my life. Well, that's not reality. Well it is reality is that Jesus said, I'm gonna I'm not gonna depart take away those things and deprive you of what could be used to make you look just like me so God is able to take the trials and the tribulations and use them to form me into his image and so who am I to dispute that I'm just thankful that he measures out grace with the pain that happens in our life experience The word doubt is to duplicate. It is the idea of double thinking, wavering in your opinion. And as James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all, all his ways. If you let doubt control your life, you will be an unstable person. That is not what God has called us to do. God has not called us to a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. That is the, that's what all children of God receive. We don't need to fear. Who who, who compares to our God? We're going to see this here in the words of Christ. Who compares to this God that we serve? He has no equal. Who challenges Him? Really? No one. Why? How can we doubt this personage? When we see him for who he really is, it's, doubt flees. And lastly, they heard the words of Jesus. Because they went to the place where they were supposed to be. They saw Jesus. They worshiped Jesus. And then, the clincher, which is all what we're waiting for, isn't it? To hear the words of Jesus Christ. I love this. All authority is, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How important is the word of God to you? How important are the scriptures to you? Is the Bible worth reading every day? Is it worth inquiring of God? Romans ten seventeen, But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The more of the word that I take in, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. He doesn't work in a vacuum. The more he can use to generate and create faith in my heart. And this is a wonderful blessing. But Jesus is talking about all authority. Wow, how much is all? That means nothing, there's, there's no place that we can go anywhere in the universe, you know, in heaven, on the earth, in any, Philippians chapter 2 talks about even under the earth. There is no place that is not under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that is a lot of authority. Is that why Jesus, those were the first words out of his mouth? It was because of the doubters? Hey, fellas, I'm just saying. I've been given all authority, so you don't need to waver. You don't need to be duplicitous. It's okay. I'm going to take care of things. Think about how Jesus, in his earthly ministry, exercised this authority over nature. Stop blowing. And the storm ceased. No, that really did separate the head of the disciples from their shoulders, I'm sure. Like, whoa. Whoa. What kind of man is this? Even this wind and the seas obey him. Would have separated my head from my shoulders, I'm sure. The people who heard Jesus speak on this mountain of Beatitudes. Whoa. 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 We never heard it like this before. This guy... Wow, You know, like the scribes and the Pharisees, this guy brings, whoa. They, like, wow. Yeah, he had authority. He healed the blind. He healed the mute, the deaf, the demon-possessed, and, and the crowd just marveled. Wow, we've never seen this. It's never happened in our nation like this before. These are the things that were written in the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus. They would just marvel, and they would glorify God at the works of Jesus, at the words of Jesus. So the word... Power or authority means the right use of power. The Lord has all authority, all power, and he never, ever misuses that power. It's impossible for God to do that. Let's think about this. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same guy that was on that mountaintop talking to these people hasn't changed. He's the same one that's here right today. He's going to be here tomorrow and the following day. And forevermore, Jesus is this person. But I want to read this scripture from Philippians as we get close to closing here. It's funny how the Lord's speaking Philippians to us this morning. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe the key to understanding authority is humility. Understanding and possessing authority. Look at look at the command here. Because Jesus has all authority, he is now delegating it to believers, to disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. Now, I want to say, and this is important, the command isn't to go. There's a present tense there. What that what that means is essentially, it means as you're going, as you're living your life from heaven to, from earth to heaven, that lifespan that you and I have, as you go, that's what it means. It's present tense. The command here, the exhortation and what we are to be obedient to is to make disciples. So as you're going, as you're living your life, you preach the gospel in order to make Disciples. Just what are you going there for? Just to go? Well, what's that all about? I mean, you just you gotta do something, right? So it's not the going that's the issue, it's the making the <coughs> disciples. You get me? You track in here? Good. Make disciples. This is the command. That's the commission. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we share the good news that they can be forgiven they can be invited to be part of the kingdom of God and to live the fullness of his grace so we're wanting to make converts but beyond becoming converted the only idea isn't okay accept Jesus and then you can come to the church gathering and sit in the seat just like me and watch ouch ouch That hurts somebody, and it should. If you just come and dust off the chair, you're not walking in the discipleship. The Lord wants disciples. People learning, growing, and serving, and sharing the good news. What does that mean? It means sharing what God has done in your life, giving your testimony. We're learning this and being reminded of this on Wednesday nights, Every place Paul went, one of the first things he did as he brought the gospel message to the lost and to the Gentiles was to share his own testimony. This is what God has done in my life. I personally was an absolute train wreck as a teenager, and I was on my way to hell and really fast. But God in his great love reached down and said, I have a better plan for your life, and I'm taking you out of that trash hole of lifestyle that you're living in and that party life, and I've got a new family and a new place for you to dwell. And I'm like, it happened fast. And I haven't looked back. And Paul did the same thing. He preached the gospel through his testimony. And that's all God asks you to do. What does the book of Revelation say about those who overcome? We overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb that's the forgiveness of sins. And the word of their testimony. This is what God has done for me. And I'm not ashamed. Of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. Of what God has done for me. And I want to share it. Because I know that the people. Who I'm sharing it with. Need it just as bad as. I. God doesn't want anybody to perish. We need a love and a compassion for people. And that's what we're talking about. When we're saying disciples. You think of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a disciple. But he wasn't an apostle. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. We all have different callings and leadings, and, and yours isn't less than somebody else's. Joseph had his place, and he did his work. The apostles had their job, and they did their job. You have your job, and we need to do our jobs. That's just the way it works. That's part of the stewardship. The nature of discipleship is simply to be like Jesus. We, 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 the greatest thing we can do is image God and show people that God is kind that God is loving and that God cares and that he's a forgiving God because he's expressed all that towards us. Isn't that a wonderful, isn't, isn't that simple? Well, I don't know if they're gonna, well, I don't, it doesn't matter if they receive your message. That's not up to you. I don't save anybody, you don't save anybody. You have no idea what your act of kindness or your few words that you might stutter in getting them out. But when they see the sincerity your heart you, the Holy Spirit uses that and so come on Wednesday nights and be encouraged in this area obviously there were things that need, to, that need to happen and this is what goes on in our church here and many many churches throughout the land praise the Lord what do we do with in making disciples we baptize them now do you need to be dunked in water and held under. Well, some of you need to be held under a long time. <laughs> right? No, we... What is the, simply... Baptism is identification. You know, they would take things in the, in the old days and make dye vats of dye, and they would take the plain white cloth that had been made, and they would put it into the dye solution and hold it under. And when that was pulled out, it would be identified with that color that's what baptism is i am identifying it's sort of the new testament baptism is sort of equivalent to the old testament circumcision it is an outward expression of an inward reality that has taken place i see myself with a stony a heart of stone i am dead before god he comes in by his spirit and he forgives my sins he gives me a new heart, a new nature, and I'm born again. I now identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have a one person uh, in our church that's going to be baptized. As soon as we get a few more, we want to have a baptism. So if you have not been baptized since you professed Christ, we need to talk and we need to get you baptized. You need to be obedient. That's one of the two ordinances that are, have been left to the church, the other being communion. So let's... Get you baptized. He said, well, you know, I was baptized when I was two, but, you know, hey, I don't know where I'm at now. Or, or five or 12, whatever. If you have recommitted your life and you feel like I really need to do it now that I understand it, it's okay to be baptized more than once. I don't have a problem with that. Important thing is that you be obedient and follow it. So we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because the God (coughs) is our co-equal members of the triune God and then we make disciples by teaching primarily we are a teaching ministry and you're being taught this morning this is just the way it is what we do at Calvary Chapel we have nothing else to offer except the word of God people are nurtured strengthened and blessed there's something mysterious about when the word of God comes into our souls and it speaks to us amazing transformation that could take place and then we also send people by baptizing by teaching and by sending we just simply go out and bear witness to the truth I love this ending here of Jesus lo I'm with you always so the greatest ministry that any of us have All of our ministry is centered around this right here. Is that we show people what God is like. You see, that's why Jesus became a man. One of the reasons. He thought it was cool to do that. But more than that, he knew that people could not really grasp what God's nature was really like. So he embodied himself in a man and expressed the Godhead in ways that we could grasp and understand. The gentleness, the kindness, the authority, the power, the love, the willingness to wash feet, the humility, on and on the attributes of Christ. This is, as he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know the nature and character of God now through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's making, you know, God had one son, right? One only begotten. He loved him so much he wanted to make a zillion others. And that's what he's after with you, with me. He wants to make us after his own image. Through the fall, we were marred. And through the regeneration and power of the Holy Spirit and being born again, we are regenerated back into the image of the Lord our God. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord put his name on you today and forevermore. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.